Welcome to the Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant Show. My name is Rebecca Whitman, and I'm a success mentor. I believe there are seven pillars of success. Your spiritual life, your physical fitness, your emotional, romantic, mental, social, and finally, your financial life. When you get all seven areas in alignment, you are balanced, beautiful, and abundant. I learned this the hard way. I've always made money. Unfortunately, I spent so much time making money that I never had time for the rest of my life. So, despite not having financial worries, I was never happy. I wanted romance, but I didn't have time to date. I wanted to be in great shape, but I couldn't find a moment to go to the gym. I wanted a more spiritual life, but I didn't meditate. That also takes time. I wanted to read great books and fill my mind with deep thoughts, but I never made the time. I wanted a great social life, not just going to work-related events. Emotionally, I was a wreck because my life was totally out of balance. Today, I earn more money than I ever have in my life, and I work only part-time. I have the relationship of my dreams. I'm in the best physical shape of my life. I'm spiritually grounded. I feel fulfilled mentally, socially, and emotionally. My life is in perfect alignment. This podcast will help you discover where your life is out of balance. My mission is to support you in achieving work-life balance so that you can have more fun and freedom in life. On my show, you will get to learn from experts in all seven areas of abundance. My guests have achieved tremendous success in their zone of genius. Are you ready to go to a level 10 in all seven areas of life? You got this. Hello, China Eisler. I am so excited to have you on the Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant show. Welcome. Thank you so much, Rebecca. And I love the title. It's amazing. I know. It's Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant. That's all of our goals. So I just want to tell my audience a little bit about your background. You have such an amazing story. You grew up as, as the daughter of two members of the hit 70s band Jefferson Airplane, and you began your passion to empower people with 12-step recovery at the age of 15. You have been a counselor at multiple rehabs and sober livings, and you began your study of theology at Loyola Marymount University. It's so <laughs> cool that you made, that you've had such a trajectory on your path, and then I did some research about you, and your mom, who's Grace Slick, said, oh, my daughter loves to study the teachings of Jesus. So she said that about you a long time ago. So I guess you've always been fascinated with rock and spirituality. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, thank you for all of that. I appreciate it. And yes, you did your homework. Um, I did. Um, I appreciate that. And uh yeah, you know, it's funny when you bring that up with rock and spirituality, um, you know, one of my guide li- like guiding lights and um, really uh, a lighthouse for me all my life has been the band U2. And oh, I love them. Yeah. And I mean, you know, Bono has been my role model, you know, the, the, the person I look to for how to lead my life, um, especially with social justice activism. And, and truthfully, the interesting thing, I've read a lot of books on U2. And theology, because most of you two is Christian. 
Um, and they have a really interesting story where they started reading the Bible together on the tour bus um, when they were about 16 years old. Um, and that was a big glue um, then and has been for the trajectory of their careers. Three of the members are um, self-identify as Christian and the other one doesn't. And um, and they all, if you really listen closely to U2's music, um, you know, it's funny, like they are a Christian rock band. I mean, for all intents and purposes, um, but they are so um, skilled at being artists with it that you don't ever feel like they're proselytizing or shoving anything down your throat. They just really marry, um, you know, rock music and spirituality and it's so easy for them. And, and so, yeah, I mean, the arts are a direct, you know, kind of um, always a direct conduit for the spirit and for whatever you want to, you know, name it. Um, for the movement of the universe, energy of love, higher power, God, Allah, whatever you want to say, um, they are clearly um, a vessel for spirit. So, um, so yeah, so he's always been a major guide since I was about nine, actually. Wow. He's been uh, their music, and he's been uh, one of many spiritual mentors, although I've never met him. I would love to meet him. <laughs> I've come close. So would but I. <laughs> I'm like waiting for that. That's a bucket list item for sure. <laughs> I'm sure he knows your parents' music well, so you never know. You you mm -hmm. could meet him, or you could meet him just by divine appointment. But it's funny because I I know you two is sharing like a light filled message, but you think of like rock and roll as like dark energy and depravity and like you know sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But it it doesn't have to be that way. No, it doesn't. And, you know, sometimes it, there is the mix. I mean, you, even with my own parents, I can really only speak to the experience of um, my parents and spirituality. And interestingly enough, you know, I didn't grow up with religion or spirituality per se in terms of any formal, um, let's say, Buddhist meditation training as I'm in now or and have been for a while or any kind of yoga or church or anything like that. I, I didn't grow up with it. However, um, you know, again, music is a communication of the divine. Um, and they were heavily involved in, in sex, drugs, and rock and roll, all of it. Um, so I had a very interesting upbringing, a very colorful upbringing, um, complicated, layered, uh, painful, beautiful, uh, creative upbringing. And, um, and I'm very grateful for all of the experiences at this point in my life. Um, I did not always feel that way. Um, but at this point, I can say that I feel grateful for all the teachings that they gave me, both how to be and how not to be. Um, that so is, that's where I stand, stand with it today. Yeah. I love that you said that because I really believe that we get the parents that we're supposed to get to learn unique life lessons that we couldn't have learned any other way. And oh, yeah. I love that you've totally like appreciated, you know, what you learned from them. And so I wanted to ask you, what did you learn about life that you couldn't have learned any other way than being the daughter of rock royalty? It's a great question. Um, I have been asked this a lot mm -hmm. and, um, and I appreciate it because it is a, it's a unique um, perspective that I have on life um, due to the lens through which I saw life growing up. You know, it has really um, uh, formed me, informed me, um, taught me, uh, hurt me, blessed me, <laughs> all of it. And so, um, 
you know, there's something that I was taught um, in two ways that has stayed with me all my life. There's a lot I could talk about, but this is a really important one, which is that um, I, even though I was on the inside, right, um, of the band and of my parents' life, both in public and then at home, um, I was an outsider. So I have a unique perspective being inside and outside because I wasn't in the band. I didn't have their experience as musicians and as famous people and all that that brings along with it, which is a lot. Um, and it's very complicated and complex in terms of uh, how their fame formed them, which very much affected me. Um, but I come from it from a very different standpoint, both you know in childhood and as an adult. Um, very different perspectives growing up to what I've had now, especially as a sober woman in long-term recovery um, and the benefits that you get of being able to look back in a very different way um, on that existence as a child. But as a kid, um, it was very scary. Um, you know, thankfully we didn't have social media then. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know. You know, it was hard enough, I'll be honest. Um, you know, walking outside, going to the grocery store, going anywhere with my parents, there were always fans coming up to them and wanting autographs and wanting to talk to them. And for the most part, you know, my parents were very gracious, but understandably they're human beings and sometimes they would get irritated by it. And, but for the most part, they were always very grateful um, that to the fans and to people who, you know, cared about their music and were affected by their music and um, because they really understood that they would not have a living and, and have money and have, uh, the life that they had without fans, it just would have been impossible. Um, mm -hmm. you know, paying their bills literally. Right. So, uh, so I learned the appreciation. I learned a lot about the gratitude on that level because not all celebrities behave in that manner as we've seen. Um, a lot of celebrities are ungrateful and entitled and, um, and kind of take it for granted. And so I, I can tell you that they weren't like that. Um, they were nice to their fans when they came up, like during a dinner, family dinner at the grocery store. They were, you know, I've experienced celebrities acting both ways and, you know, it hurts your feelings when they're like, no, no pictures today. I mean, yeah. So it's great that your parents taught you to be gracious. Yes. Gracious and grateful. I mean, you know, grateful for everything that I grew up with. I mean, I was blessed completely with everything that I needed and a great school and, um, you know, I got to travel the world a bit um, when they would tour, although usually I would stay home with my nanny, Pat, who I adored. And um, so uh, in terms of like touring, they would go on tour in the summer a lot. And so I would actually take off with Pat. They paid for us to go to Hawaii all summer. So I actually grew up on the island of Oahu um, every summer for the first like 10 years of my life. Um, wow. And so again, like gratitude beyond. I mean, I didn't see it that way for a long time. I saw it as, you know, they both left me on a tour bus and on airplanes and they were gone. And that, yes, that was extremely hard. But looking back as an adult, I'm almost, you know, I'm 49 years old. Like I, I look at them as adults now and I can say that they really provided for me in many ways and gave me a lot of opportunities um, that I'm extremely grateful for. Um, uh, however, um, on the, on the, on the flip side, yeah, they were, uh, you know, 24 hours a day, pretty much, um, intoxicated mm. or recovering from being intoxicated, um, gone a lot. Um, 
And so I, I really do, you know, Pat, my nanny who I adore, she passed away in 2012 and I, I miss her like beyond words um, because she really took um, the spot that they vacated. You know, they, she really made up for their absence. However, um, you know, nobody can take the place of blood parents. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just impossible by nature of <laughs> genetics and blood, yeah. you know, it, it, as, as great as anybody can be as a caregiver, it's not the parents. And so um, I had to do a lot of work around that. I mean, I, I have spent years, especially in the first years of my recovery in therapy and doing yoga and, you know, working with a sponsor in a 12 step program and, you know, just really having to pick up the pieces um, of my life for myself and learn how to be an adult and really learn how to take care of myself in ways that um, I was never taught and learn how to care for myself, um, self-care and what that even means. You know, um, how does a person in a 26-year-old body, because I was 26 when I got sober, you know, um, this last time, uh, how, how, do, how do you do this? You know, how do you become mm -hmm. a woman with integrity and with accountability and responsibility to myself and to others, like just the basic fundamentals, you know? So, um, so I had to do a lot of grieving around that. I had to do, to process a lot of emotions. I had to process rage and, um, uh, anxiety and PTSD and panic disorder. And I mean, so many things that I ended up having once I let my, go of my own alcohol abuse, um, and use, I had to, you know, I was left with myself. And so it has taken a long time. Um, it is such a, a long journey and I'm so grateful to be alive for it, you know, to be experiencing it and to give to others um, anything and everything that I have learned that has been beneficial um, to recovery in particular. Exactly. And I think so many addicts um, are drinking and using and shopping and having sex and gambling over not wanting to process their childhood trauma. And I yes. just want to acknowledge you because it takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of time and it just takes a lot of um, vulnerability to feel those uh, really, you know, dark feelings and to go through them and to let them go and to release them. And now that you are on the other side, you know, you're turning around and you're helping people with their addiction and their trauma. And I know when, when talking to addicts or people who are just, you know, wanting to get help, a lot of people are resistant to the G word, the word God. You know, a lot of people don't want the, you know, Judeo-Christian God in the sky that looks like Zeus or Santa Claus, the old man with the beard and the staff. Um, so how do you differentiate with your clients uh, spirituality from religion? And how do you empower people to have access to this power greater than themselves when they're like, oh, no, I don't believe in God. God's abandoned me. How do you empower these people with spiritual tools, being that you are um, almost a minister, you're getting your master's in, in divine uh, in divinity? So can you speak into that a little bit? Yes. Well, first, first of all, um, it's very important to pay attention to cultur cultural differentiation, right? Mm -hmm. So spirituality is such a big term and it means so many different things to so many people, which is the great part about it. Mm -hmm. It's so open-ended and it, it also, it has everything to do with meaning, value, and purpose. 
Mm. In, in one's life that that you know i've heard a lot of definitions of spirituality throughout you know the last couple decades that i've been involved in my education and also um in recovery and working with you know hundreds of women so far especially um you know it, it doesn't the, the thing that gets in the way is the god word and you know it doesn't have to be that word Mm -hmm. um, that's the first thing that I tell anybody is that, okay, let's let go of the word God mm -hmm. if it doesn't work for you, right? If it's really not feeling right, you can go with love, you can go with spirit of the universe, you can go with spirit, you can go with Allah, you can go with whatever feels meaningful to you. That's what we'll work with because there's no point in pushing somebody to use something that is not only helpful, uh, are not helpful, but also a lot of people, this is really important, a lot of people have been spiritually abused. Um, what does that mean to you? What that means to me is that I've um, heard from a lot of women that either their pastor or some member of the clergy um, has been legitimately abusive, whether it's sexual, whether it's psychological, whether it's theologically abusive, um, whether it's covert or overt. Um, that has happened to a lot of people that I know, or they have been kicked out of their church for being gay or for being X, Y, or Z, any number of reasons, which completely breaks my heart. And part of why I became a minister is to uh, rewire people's hearts and minds to try to help with understanding that God or spirit is love, period. It has, it's no more and no less. That is my personal opinion. That is the opinion and theory and practice of all of the um, spiritual traditions and people who are trustworthy um, where they land on it. Whether you are talking about Jesus, um, whether you're talking about Buddha, whether you're talking about whoever, whatever it is for you, um, whether you're talking about the practice of yoga, all of it comes down to love. I totally is, agree. I mean, that if you look at the core message, of these individuals. Um, you look at Martin Luther King, you look at Bono, you can look at uh, women, Dorothy Day, uh, Teresa Vavia, Mother Teresa, you know, you, you, you can go down the list. It's all love-centered. The deal though is, is that it's easy to say that and it's much harder to live that. Mm -hmm. It takes spiritual practice on a daily basis to be able to live into and out of love, right? It, you hear it all the time. It almost becomes cliche and it's very difficult. However, what I also want to say second is that I practice, um, for instance, Buddhist Theravada meditation, which is called Vipassana. And Vipassana meditation is very different from a lot of other meditations in this core way that the Buddha taught, first of all, um, as part of the Eightfold Path, uh, to practice meditation, beginning with the breath, right? And concentrate, it's called concentration meditation. Mm -hmm. And that is the beginner's level, right? Because the breath, using the breath for meditation is in fact a distraction. If you look at it closer, um, yes, it can be helpful temp uh, um, um, temporarily as a beginning skill in meditation. But what you want to graduate into is Vipassana meditation, which is where you're actually turning toward yourself in meditation, as opposed to being distracted by focusing on the breath, if that makes sense. So 
for instance, I did yoga for 10 years and I found it extremely beneficial and very helpful and very transformative and very healing. However, it is only a focus on the breath, right? So right. it is a great beginning to the meditative life or journey. Um, the, the difference in, in Vipassana is this is really the mothership. This is really where it takes courage and where the healing from where I can see from my own personal experience for years of doing it and from talking to many others is that once you, tr you, you turn toward yourself and you realize that the core biological you know, reality for all of us, not just people in recovery, is the addiction or craving to pleasure and the aversion to pain. Mm -hmm. Once you realize that that is wired into us biologically, my big aha moment was, well, okay, so I can want to love all I want. I can do my character defect list. I can do my step work. I can do all of this. But in essence, it's a pipe dream unless you're actually rewiring the brain itself. Right. To be at ease on a daily basis through Vipassana meditation, which is turning toward your feelings and your thoughts and your physical sensations as opposed to away from them by solely focusing on the breath. So how does Vipassana work? Is there a mantra? Is it just trying to create pure silence in your mind and letting the thoughts go by? How I know it's a whole teaching, but if you could sum it up in a few sentences, how, how would you describe the, the methodology of Vipassana? So yeah, so it is, um, it is very, um, detailed. And so obviously I can't get into it here, but I, I, for instance, have a teacher and I would highly recommend if anybody's interested joining a Sangha, um, where Theravada Buddhism takes place, um, in your town or in your country or wherever it might be, um, with a professional teacher, um, who can teach you. Uh, because I am not a professional Vipassana teacher. I am a student. Um, but I do have a teacher, I have a Sangha, and I do that um, on purpose because I, you know, need to keep learning and be trained by this individual. And so, um, but in short, it's pretty much what I just said, which is the major difference um, from this kind of meditation that I have found profoundly life-changing. Um, and I've done a lot of different meditations in my time being sober, um, is that you're turning toward, you're not turning away from. So whether it's, um, I, I actually tend to use on a daily basis, what I actually do is my teacher has a lot of videos online where he's actually doing guided meditations along with other um, teachers from the tradition. And there are many online that you can go to if you can't find it in your town. Um, an actual are song. You, uh, what is your teacher's name? Noah Levine. Okay. So he is 30 years sober um, and he is, uh, he founded Against the Stream and also Dharma Punks and Refuge Recovery. And he has written many books, um, and he is really proficient and probably the best teacher I've ever had in terms of spirituality and, um, and meditation in particular. So, um, but there are many, many teachers out there, both female and male, um, and otherwise um, gendered. And so um, I would recommend just doing, you know, your own research and your own exploration of what kind of teacher you might relate to, who works best for you, because everybody has different, you know, um, people that they um, gel with. It's kind of like when you get a sponsor in a 12-step program, you know, you kind of listen for, um, listen to different people um, mm -hmm. online and, and practice 
uh, with different teachers online or in person and see who works and gels for you and stick with that. That is really inspiring. I mean, there's an against the stream right near where I live in Venice, California. I'm going to check it out and also listen to some YouTube videos. That is very inspiring. So what is your morning practice? One of the big things I teach in the book, how to make a six figure income working part time is the importance of having a morning practice to get your mind right for the day. What does your morning look like? So what I do is every morning um, I'm married. And uh, my husband is in recovery as well. And so every morning we get up and the first thing we do is we do readings. We do spiritual readings from many different traditions um, with each other. And then we reflect on what we've read um, with each other. We share on, you know, oh, what, what came up for you when you heard this? And mm -hmm. what might you want to work on today um, for your recovery and for your life? And we keep each other accountable and responsible in that way, um, both to each other and for our marriage um, individually and then for the people we come in contact with for the day. Um, and then I um, go into meditation online, um, like I said, with um, any number of Noah's videos. And so I'll either do 45 minutes of um, guided meditation with him um, and the Sangha, which uh, because uh, Against the Stream goes um, live stream every Monday night. Um, and actually now, because of what's going on in the world, um, against the stream has upped it to, um, I believe it's five or six days a week live streaming, um, online every night. Wow. Um, do you get that through YouTube or do you have to join the against the stream website or Facebook community? So against the stream has YouTube videos that are from, um, current and from the past. And then, but the live stream, you would need to go to Facebook or to Instagram, um, either to Noah Levine's, um, pages or to against stream meditation center. So it has changed names um, yes. over the last six months. It was society. So you're going to want to anybody who's interested, make sure that it's against the stream meditation center. Um, and when you you can go there for information, um, they have put up a revised schedule for the live streams um, beginning basically now um, the schedule will go indefinitely until you know, we get through this crisis uh, in our world. And so um, there are many teachers that are teaching on there. Rachel Savage is amazing. Um, she's teaching, I believe, in the either Saturday or Sunday in the morning. And then I think a lot of the other ones are at night. Um, and Noah's night is Mondays at from 730 to 9 p.m. PST. Great. Yeah. Okay. So back to your morning practice. First of all, I love that you stay connected because in my book, there's seven areas of abundance and they're all connected. And I love how you connect your spiritual life with your romantic and emotional life by doing this practice with your husband. That's so good. Oh yeah. It's so important. And you know, it's interesting is we got it from our sponsors who happen to be married. Beautiful. That's <laughs> so beautiful. they do it together and, and they pass it down to us. Um, and that's of course how this all works. Yeah. So then I do that meditation um, in the morning and then now, um, usually I go to the gym with my husband, um, but now we're taking walks outside and keeping the social distancing. Um, we're very committed to and disciplined with um, the six feet rule. And so we either um, go out on our own or together and take walks every day and make sure that we get our exercise in. I love so that. Because that's you're how, go ahead. Yeah, I'm just saying now, you know, now that we have 
everybody is needing to pivot, you know, in every way possible with our daily routines, um, we've really made sure that we stuck to our routines and just adjusted for what is being asked of us as citizens of the world to not further spread this virus. I totally agree with you. And I think especially for recovering people, addicts and alcoholics, we thrive on ritual and routine because oh, yeah. our minds are they can tend to be anxious and fear-based and there's a lot of security and safety that comes from sticking to a ritual and routine. So I really encourage our listeners um, in this trying time of the coronavirus that you find a ritual and routine that's at home. Like uh, China said, there's so many great guided meditations from her teacher and other teachers online and there's readings and there's, I've been really getting into some great workout videos online that yeah. I, I always used to think, oh, working out from home, it's so 80s, it's so Jane Fonda. And I was like, you <laughs> gotta go to the gym, that's where the cool people go. But I'm like, you know what? I have a couple light weights and a yoga mat and I've been getting into these at-home workout videos. I've been doing bar and hit and yoga and it's super fun. So we have to pivot and we have to, uh, we get to, I'm changing my have to's to I get to. So I work on that all the time, guys. I'm definitely not perfect. We get <laughs> to pivot and keep our routine and keep our self-care like you shared about at the beginning of this interview in this uh, health situation. I don't want to call it a crisis because that brings me to my next question. Um, what is your opinion on why the coronavirus is happening from a spiritual perspective? If, if, if God is love and, and God is good, what are some spiritual perceptions? I know we had a great conversation on the phone earlier this week about it. I just wanted you to share that with my listeners. Why is this happening? for the good, even though it seems like such a crisis? You know, I, I was trained long ago to not um, live in the why, mm. more to live in the solution, right? Yeah. So, so theologically speaking, um, you know, the, the eternal questions, right? Why did the Holocaust happen? Yes. Why do, why do children die of diseases? You know, I'm not why sure. Why is anything. there murder? Why is there rape? And people use that as a reason not to have a spiritual life because they're like, if there really is a God, then why are these terrible things happening? Right. I mean, I, if I were to live like that, I would, I mean, what's the point? I, I can't live in like, um, well, I, you know, I, I have no idea. And, it, and I, I feel like if somebody says they know why, I would question them a little bit further. Mm -hmm. If they actually really know why that these things happen, what I, from my theological and extensive theological training, what I've landed on um, that works for me, and I can only, you know, talk about myself um, and, and what I've passed on to others is, you know, it's, it's like when you're in therapy, you know, asking why doesn't get you that far. Um, in my experience, why did my mother do this? Why did my mother do that? What matters is what I do with what happened. Right. That's everything. And it's the same with, am I going to hate God and turn my back on God who is love because I can't figure out what's going on in the world? No, I'm not going to do that. That's counterproductive for me as a servant of God in this world here and now in reality. It is more uh, productive for me to say, okay, how can I help given the situation at hand? That's always what I've done with my own life. Stay in solution, stay in the facts, don't get overwhelmed keep doing meditation and serve, serve, serve. That is always where I put my energy, my time, and my focus. 
is what is happening right now, today, Friday. I'm talking to you, right, on this podcast. That's all that's happening right now. And I am being of service in the best way I can. And the best thing I can say is to be of service in love, in help, for the benefit of anybody you can come in contact with right now via phone, via computer, however it might be through the heart, through prayer, through meditation. I believe deeply in energy and in energy, in prayer and in meditation. And so what I've been doing with this time is either to get on the phone, get on Skype, get on Zoom, what we're doing right now, right? Um, Saturday, I've been asked to speak at a a 12-step meeting. That's going to be exciting and interesting and messy because nobody knows what they're doing. And that's okay. We're in this together. So I will be speaking. I'll be lighting candles. I'm going to set a mood. I'm really stoked about that. I've Mm -hmm. already thought about how do I want to present? How do I want to bring calm and groundedness and acceptance and love and even humor when it's so needed right now at this time in history, right? So I'm going to do my part on Saturday morning via Zoom. And we're going to have Hollywood squares, right? We're going to have, who knows, 50 to 100 people on there. It's going to be great. And, um, and so to bring solution to that, not to bring panic or freaking out, but to br- bring groundedness and love and support, which is what I believe God would want in this situation for me, for other people. See, so that's how I keep it very solid theologically. What can I do right now? That's always where I live. I love it because you're changing the why, which is a victim pronoun. Like, why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? To either how can I serve or what can I do? And those are just way more empowering questions to ask. Yeah, because there's, you know what, Rebecca, there's so much we can do. We're doing it right now, you and I together. You know what I mean? Like that is a very, very profound way of being of service um, in the world right now when it is so needed. Connection. You and I are connecting. But then other people are going to connect. And then they'll connect with other people through the podcast. Say, hey, have you heard this? This is really helpful right now because it's people getting together and talking about spirituality and what we can do. You know, you can give money if you have it to food banks. You know what I mean? Like there's so much we can do. Um, and the fear keeps us terrified, locked in, limited. Uh, you know, we're acting from the lizard brain at that point and we're just frozen, right? And believe me, I'll say it right now on this podcast. I have panic disorder. I have PTSD. I've had to manage that my whole sobriety. It has been very challenging, but I have learned so much about fear, right? biologically, physiologically, um, where it comes from, what I can do about it. And I can tell you that's no way to live, especially right now. Um, so if we want to be of service, meditation, ground, getting grounded in any way that we know how is the number one priority as far as that I can see it in terms of a habit and a pattern and a daily discipline. It's so crucial because talking about spirituality is amazing and it's helpful. But the living into and doing it every day is what's most effective, in my opinion. I agree. And people are at home. A lot of people have, you know, been on such a treadmill of commuting and rush hour traffic and working nine to five and trying to get to the gym early in the morning before work and getting coffee. And people have been running so fast for so many uh, decades that they haven't. They're like, oh, I should meditate, but I don't have time. Well, guess what? Now is your opportunity to get a meditation practice. So when life does go back to normal, 
which it will one day, you will have that meditation practice to stay grounded and to stay centered and calm no matter what's going on around us. We can still maintain our inner calm and peace. So this has been such a beautiful interview, China. I could talk to you all day. You <laughs> live so much life and you have so much to share. I can't wait till you graduate and get your master's in divinity. I know you want to work with hospitals as a chaplain and and give seminars and also do one-on-one -on -one coaching. And I want to make sure that uh, my listeners can stay in touch with you. What is the best way that they can do that? So um, email is the best way, which is China Eisler, C-H-I-N-A-I-S-L-E-R at yahoo.com. I'm old school. I'm still sticking with that Yahoo. <laughs> I might still have my hotmail. It's kind of embarrassing, but you know, it works. And uh, if it ages me, oh, well, it, it still works. So but you know what I like? You know what I like? It's kind of like it's vintage now. That's what I kind of love about it. So I'm kind of digging that. You know yeah, I mean? <laughs> when I say hotmail, people are like, ooh, okay. I like, yeah, I still have it. Yeah, and please feel free, feel free to email me for sure. Um, and I, I am on Facebook and Instagram under my name. Um, but the Facebook is full at this time. Um, and uh, so I would definitely recommend um, the email is the best route. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. You're thank amazing. you so much, Rebecca. Thank you so much. It's such an honor and a privilege. I appreciate it. Yes. And thank you listeners for tuning in to Balance, Beautiful and Abundant. We'll see you on the next show or we'll tune into the next show. And we cannot wait to hear from another expert on how you can stay in alignment and balanced and happy in all seven areas of life. Thank you so much, China. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Rebecca. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye. Bye. Who says you can't have it all? I'm proof that you can. You just have to put your life into balance. Too much of anything, money, fitness, socializing, can overtake your life. When all seven aspects of your life work in harmony, you will achieve the balanced, beautiful, and abundant life you've always dreamed of. Please subscribe to hear more inspiring interviews. Is there someone you know who could benefit from this podcast? Please share this podcast with them. Please review this podcast. Your feedback will help me target your needs and plan for upcoming shows that answer your questions and feature guest speakers that can make a big difference in your life. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Rebecca E. Whitman. Feel free to DM me to book a free balance assessment call. And don't forget, stay balanced, beautiful, and abundant. It's cold, living my life like it's cold, living my life like it's cold.